The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We all have those thoughts that will not die. Along with many other thought distractions, these can keep us from thinking clearly and focusing on what we desire and who we can be. This is Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. What if you could learn to command the power of thought and make the laws of the universe work in your favor? It can be done, and it just takes some adjustments to become a thought genius. Now, here is your host, Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin. I'd like to welcome uh, my guest today, Greg Braden. It's a great honor for me to uh, have him on the show. He's a uh, New York Times best-selling author. Uh, he is internationally renowned as a pioneer of bridging science and spirituality. There we have something in common. And uh, also adding the uh, real-world function to uh, bridging science and spirituality. So following a successful career as a uh, computer geologist uh, during the 1970 energy crisis, he worked as a senior liaison with the U.S. Air Force Space uh, command um, that I'm sure must have been very interesting. One of my uh, long desires it would have been to be an astronaut. So, and I spent time in the Air Force. So uh, again, we have another crossing point in our histories. In uh, 1991, he became the first technical operations manager for Cisco Systems. Um, so you can gather from just that part of his resume that this guy is like really smart. Um, since 1986, Greg has explored uh, high mountain villages, remote monasteries, and forgotten texts to merge their timeless secrets uh, with the best of science today. His discoveries have led to uh, 11 award-winning books and uh, published in 38 languages. And uh, Greg has received uh, numerous honors for his work, including... 2015 nomination for the prestigious Templeton Award, or some people know that as the Templeton Prize, uh, for uh, work that is done in uh, spiritual discoveries. Uh, he has shared his presentations and ra uh, his trainings with the United Nations, Fortune 500 companies, the U.S. military, and is now featured in media specials airing on major networks throughout the North and South America. Mexico, and Europe. Greg, it is a great honor and pleasure to have you with us uh, to spend some time today. Uh, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thank you for the, the introduction. I'm, uh, I'm honored. I'm absolutely thrilled to be with you. This is my very first media interview for the new year, so you are my number one here today. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that. So as I went through your biography there and looking at this amazing path, uh, going from a lot of uh, technical kind of work, and then all of a sudden in uh, 1986, there's this shift in what you do, and all of a sudden you're you're going to mountain villages and remote monasteries and you know probing forgotten texts and things like that. Um, what brought that 
shift about in your life, and what was that journey like? Wow. So, so we start with the easy questions first. You know, the sure. most difficult thing for an author to do is talk about their own lives. <laughs> it's easier. It's always easier to talk about their work. But this this path, um, it has been a very interesting path, unexpected in in some respects, and also. Jeffrey, my sense is that uh, the the science and the technology was the perfect training to be able to bridge uh, the two great ways of knowing the best science of the modern world and the wisdom, uh, the the spiritual traditions and the wisdom of five thousand years of, of human experience. Uh, and it was it was during my time uh, behind the scenes during the the Cold War years. Uh, some of the most frightening times in the history of America. Uh, people behind the scenes know how close we actually came to, to doing the unthinkable and, and releasing uh, nuclear weapons on, on civilian populations. It was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a very frightening time. And my sense has always been, uh, Jeffrey, that even though I, w- I was working in those uh, capacities during the day, I've always, uh, since, I was, since I was a child, uh, I've studied the past. I've studied uh, the the ancient traditions of those who have come before us, because I've always believed that if we know where to look and we know how to look into our past, we will find the wisdom to help us become more than the differences that have led to the great wars of our past, uh, including the, the Cold War of, of the 20th century. So uh, the the science. Uh, I am trained as a scientist. I'm an earth scientist. I'm a geologist by degree with a background in computer science, ocean, and life sciences and physics. And and for me, it comes together perfectly uh, to help create the foundation uh, within which to responsibly take a look at what it is that our ancestors have have understood in their way. Uh, And even delving back into time, Jeffrey, that our, our textbooks today... Uh, say should not exist civilizations that should not exist because they are uh, technological civilizations back in the last ice age uh, long before the textbooks say that the civilization actually began about five thousand years ago is is what the tradition is during ancient Sumeria mm-hmm. and my sense is if, if we can learn from our ancestors they've been through very difficult times in their past and what is it that they knew that we've forgotten or what is it that they have known that maybe we're just beginning to understand and, and how can we weave that information uh, into the, the way that we think of our world today? So rather than choosing between science or spirituality, my choice was to marry these two great ways of knowing into a wisdom that's greater in its union than either could be separately, greater than, than the science, which tells us how things work, but cannot always tell us how to apply those things in our lives. In the spiritual traditions, that can certainly tell us how to live certain truths, but they, they can't really tell us about the nuts and bolts of how things work. So when we marry these together, my sense is it gives us the evolutionary edge to meet whatever life brings to our doorstep in a way that our ancestors did not have. Uh, that's a long answer to a short question, but it, it lays the foundation, I think, for everything we're going to talk about here today. Yeah, absolutely. I I uh, you know share a lot of that same uh, technical side of things. You know, having <clears throat> a lot of science in my background, and having been an airline pilot for a number of years, and uh, so that scientific background, all of the things that I've done in my life, have brought me to a point of understanding in in that uh, 
both technological aspect and scientific aspect of now with a lot of the research that we have been doing over the last several years and and most recently just finishing up a project that uh, focuses on energy healing. And so we're marrying that spirituality and and, uh, scientific element together just as you are, but through uh, a little bit different uh, lens and also looking at, at thought and how it uh, it factors into all of that, and uh, and and so I really really enjoyed your book, uh, spontaneous uh, the spontaneous healing of belief, and the belief codes uh, that that you have in there. I started going through and marking, you know, which of those, and it's like, wow, I I really believe all of these, you know, and, and it. Uh, I, I think if you start down that path of uh, scientific journey and looking at how thoughts and beliefs come together, because in my world, a thought or a belief is only a thought that you keep having over and over and over again and becomes part of your registered uh, subconscious belief patterns that then uh, guide and direct you, uh, your behaviors. Um, one of the, the the very first belief code that you have in that book says experiments show that uh, that the focus of our attention changes reality itself and suggests that we live in an interactive universe. And I've said this for a long time about uh, when you hold a thought, if you hold it for 17 seconds, that there is a process called constructive interference mm-hmm. that elevates the amplitude of that energy. And if you hold that beyond 68 seconds, it no longer is affecting uh, wave particles, but now it has the ability to affect, to affect uh, matter. And that's how we literally begin to create our reality by, you know, putting that focus and attention there. Um, uh, do, do you find that that is similar in your world? Well, I, I do, uh, Jeffrey. One of the things that uh, surprises a lot of audiences when I, I speak to them live, I, I'm just returning from my first live audience of, of the new year of 2016, and we had a conversation very similar to this uh, interactive conversation with the audience, and and people were surprised that in, in the scientific world, uh, true scientists, not pop science, but, but true scientists, there is very little controversy now as to whether or not we are connected with our world in the way that was uh, theorized, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago. The, yeah, you're talking about quantum entanglement kind well, of thing, the, right? Well, the, the quantum entanglement is what has changed the conversation. So the, the controversy is no longer uh, as to whether or not we are connected in, in our world. Now the controversy is to what degree. To what degree do, are, are we connected? To what degree do we have the ability uh, to influence the world around us, and I'm going to use that word very intentionally. It's not about control or manipulation, but to what degree do we have the ability to influence uh, the the world beyond our physical bodies? And that's where the action really is. And in the the new research, the new studies. But interestingly, it was one of the great. It was a colleague of Einstein's, uh, Professor John Wheeler, Princeton University, was one of the people that really challenged or championed. Uh, Einstein challenged the ideas, and John Wheeler championed the ideas that we are deeply connected with the universe. And what was so interesting to me is that both men, they were colleagues, they, uh, they studied the same science, 
uh, they looked at the same equations and they had very, very different uh, understandings, very different perspectives of what those equations meant. Einstein didn't like the idea that we could be connected to our world and, and be able to influence things without actually physically touching them. Uh, we've all heard his, his term spooky action at a distance is, is what he called that. John Wheeler, uh, who actually just passed in, I think it was 2008, uh, from Princeton, he said he couldn't imagine living in a universe where we didn't have this kind of connection. And, and his work was based on his beliefs uh, that the universe is incomplete. It's not finished yet. It's still unfolding. And we are part of the universe studying and building. Uh, and the act, this is what was so fascinating to me. Essentially what John Wheeler said is that we will never find the edge of our universe, no matter how sophisticated our equipment. We'll never find the smallest particle of matter. For this reason, the act of us looking, peering to the edges of the universe, peering into the deepest, most fundamental aspects of, of our physical world, the act, the very act of looking with an expectation that something will be there will always create something new for us to see. And so far, it's, it's proven to be true. Every time we think we're at the edge of the universe or we think we've got the smallest particle, and then something happens and we begin to investigate that and we find that there's something more that's there. <clears throat> and, and I think this comes back to us in our, our everyday lives uh, in a way that is it's very, very different from what we've been taught to think uh, and, and conditioned to think in the Western world, and when I've studied the ancient, the indigenous traditions, uh, it is right in line with everything that that they have been taught. And I've had the opportunity, as, as in my adult life, I've been very blessed uh, to spend a lot of time in Egypt and Bolivia and Tibet and Peru and Nepal and India, uh, all through the desert southwest, uh, the Aboriginal traditions. And as different as these indigenous peoples are from from one another, the common theme that runs through, that weaves all of their wisdom together uh, is that we are part of the world, not separate from it. We're deeply connected, and, and that that connection actually begins uh, with the way that we learn to use our heart and our brain, the two organs in our bodies that create the strongest biomagnetic uh, and bioelectrical fields within us that actually interact with the, the magnetic field and electrical field in the world around us. So when we begin to think of our relationship to the world from this perspective... Uh, yeah, and, fact, and we're seeing that uh, very true in uh, a lot of the work that, uh, that I'm uh, uh, engaged in with uh, your good friend, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, that what we are beginning to discover from the, those exceptional measures that we we take is is when there is a relationship uh, a field energetic relationship between heart coherence and brain coherence that's when we see the magic begin to happen for people who can line up these energies and begin to have interdimensional experiences and have uh, other kinds of experiences of healing cells in their body and uh, all kinds of uh, magic when that energy is aligned and communicating. So I, I think it's just truly amazing that indigenous cultures for thousands of years have known 
much of what we're we're talking about here, you know, whether that was intuitively knowing that or whatever, but we now live in a day and age where science is helping us to articulate what exactly is happening, and we're seeing um, those events unfolding in people's lives. Yeah, precisely. And it, that's one of the things that's been so fascinating to me is is that our ancestors, they assumed that we were connected, and they spent hundreds, in some cases thousands of years, exploring what that connection means and how to apply it in their lives, their families, their communities in a meaningful way, whereas we, science, relatively new, about 300 years old, for 300 years, we have been debating whether or not the connection even exists. So now that the scientists are pretty much willing to accept that that connection exists, they're scratching their heads saying, what do we do with it? How do we apply it? And this is where I believe that we serve ourselves. We honor ourselves by uh, by honoring the wisdom of our past and marrying, as I mentioned earlier, these two great ways of knowing into a single wisdom. So the science tells us how things work and, and the the spiritual and the ancient traditions tell us how we can apply those things in our lives. Yeah, I think that gets down to the uh, belief code number two in your book there. It says, we believe our lives are based on what we believe about our world, ourselves, our capabilities, and our limits. And all of those are now being challenged and understood better. And we have uh, about a a minute here before we uh, go to break, if we could uh, talk about... uh, shifts in people's beliefs nowadays. Sure, what I can say within that minute is that science now has documented, and, and specifically I've worked, uh, been affiliated for over 20 years with the Institute of Heart Math, a pioneering research organization in Northern California, if our, our listeners may not be familiar with them, exploring the power of the human heart in non-conventional ways, ways that simply aren't taught in the textbooks and the classrooms. And what I can say is that under laboratory conditions, humans are now documented uh, with the ability to transcend the laws of physics as they have been given to us today, the physics that we've been conditioned to accept. Those limitations do not exist under all circumstances, and we're learning how to create those exceptional circumstances in our lives with extraordinary abilities within our bodies. We yeah, and we, we are actually seeing those in the research that, that we're doing and watching that unfold right in front of us uh, as we see, you know, where we're able to measure things up to uh, 4 million microvolts squared uh, and people having uh, reporting then what they are actually experiencing during that time. So I'd like to uh, talk more about this uh, after a break. So let's take a short break right now. And you're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior, as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain, and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. 
The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from ThoughtGenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at ThoughtGenius.com. That's ThoughtGenius.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to radioshow at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program. We're back with my guest, uh, Greg Braden, and we've been talking about uh, the power of beliefs, kind of like to uh, continue a little bit of that discussion. Um, you know, uh, maybe by bringing up uh, belief code number three in, in uh, the book, uh, uh, Spontaneous Healing of Belief, which I have to recommend this book wholeheartedly. I mean, it was one of those books where the more I read, and I just couldn't put it down mm. because there are so many great uh, truths and wisdom and inspiration in there. But uh, belief code number three says science is a language, and, and I think we've all come to identify that that truly is the, the case, particularly in this day and age where uh, so much of, of uh, what we understand does come from that science and has become a language. It's also, I, I think, become the uh, the currency of the present day uh, understanding and, and what what many people are willing to attach themselves to. It says, uh, science is a language, uh, one of many, that describes us, the universe, our bodies, and how things work. I mean, how how true that is, especially at this point in time. Now, I, I think so, uh, Jeffrey. And what happened when I was actually still in the corporations, uh, I had to make some choices. Um, about where, what direction I was going to go, how I was going to share uh, the work that I was finding to be true through my studies of the ancient texts, uh, some of the leading-edge science that simply doesn't make it to the mainstream. And one of the things that I discovered very quickly uh, was we have what we call the choir. And the choir are the people that are always on board. They're always out there thinking, you know, uh, out-of-the-box, leading-edge thinkers, and we love the choir. Uh, and the choir is what has pioneered and supported so much of this work for so long, and I recognized very early on that if we're going to bring about the kind of change that we know is possible in our lives and our world, we must reach so far beyond the choir into the mainstream, into mainstream media, mainstream corporations, mainstream education, and, and just everyday lives. Students, uh, you know, engineers, uh, housewives, uh, house husbands, <laughs> all of these people. And what I found is to do that, we have to find a language that's respected and trusted in the world today. And, and for me, at that time, this was 30 years ago, uh, actually 
this year is my 30th anniversary, 30-year anniversary from the first public presentation that I gave in uh, 1986 in Denver, Colorado. And what I found was that science, for now, is that language. So, And I also want to say to our listeners, I, I think we can honor the language of science without being tremendously technical. We can get technical. We want to get into the nuts and bolts of the math and the equations. But we don't have to. But the science is important. Uh, and it's also important to recognize that science, uh, in large degree, in some respects now, uh, has been hijacked today by the media. Science has been hijacked by politics. It's been hijacked by religion. And it's being twisted uh, and skewed to support stories that aren't necessarily true. So I, I'm saying that because I think it's really important to honor the, the, the deepest facets of peer-reviewed science rather than going with a lot of the pop science that, that you know shows up on on the internet and makes its way around in a you know a viral round over 24 hours just because a scientist writes something and just because on the internet doesn't necessarily mean it's true so i'm going to encourage our uh, our listeners to honor themselves uh, by checking to see if what they're reading is based in peer-reviewed science and every one of my books in the bibliography uh, even the things that you know, people say, I've never heard of this before. This sounds outrageous. And I said, I, I know. That's why I'm putting the peer-reviewed science in there, because the scientists themselves know what's going on. And it, it, it's revealed in layers. And by the time it makes mainstream, those layers uh, often don't reflect the truest science. So I, I think it's important to say that, Jeffrey. Oh, I, <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. We're just finishing up a study that we've been doing for the last six months on energy healing. And, uh, you know, asking some of those questions, but in setting that up, we we first started by uh, engaging an institutional review board and, uh, you know, to make sure that we were, weren't making any claims that, that weren't accurate or true or that we were recruiting the right kind of subjects and, you know, all of that. Normally, with an institutional review board, it takes you a couple of weeks to get an approval. It took us nine and a half weeks to get an approval on this study because we knew that it was so important when we get to the end goal here of uh, being able to present the science that was there. And during that nine and a half weeks, we had to go back and, and they kept asking questions of, we don't quite understand how you're measuring. It, lo it looks like you're trying to measure, you know, a ghost or a god or, you know, some nebulous. And we're going, yeah, that's exactly right. But we would have to get down into the deepest part of the research where we were explaining to them the relationship between uh, the mitochondria of the cell and how microtubules interact and how it creates biophotons. And that's how we're able to measure some of this uh, energy with this uh, gas discharge visualization equipment and so on and so on and so on. And we, we just knew that that was going to be very, very important. Uh, as we got to the end of this piece of science, uh, and and I kept asking a question, how does energy healing work? How does it work? What what makes... And in the scientific paper that I'm writing now, it gets down into, you know, great detail of the communication that goes on within the cells and how they interact and why is water important and so on and so on and so on. Uh, and, and that helps um, advance the piece of science. But during that it became very evident to me and I was able to uh, not only coin a phrase but to um, 
to trademark this actually uh, because we discovered of what tends to make the healing work. It's there within the ener- ener- energetic field, but when you have the relationship between the heart coherence and the brain coherence and what goes on between those two, this phrase that I coined is called uh, uh, neurophotonic field effect, and basically it's creating a field within the field. And um, and and beyond that, the the field will work. But when you put focus and intention onto that, then we were able to demonstrate that those p- people who were doing the energy healing, when they put that element in there, focus and intention, that there was a much more powerful effect in the work that they did because they were now directing this field within the field that we call uh, the uh, neurophotonic field effect. So yeah, I kind of know what you're what you're talking about there, that we're starting to use that language of science um, to not only get down to the deeper level of how, uh, hap- how things happen uh, in the universe and our bodies and how things work, uh, but then can take them from that rigor of science into uh, a more popular uh, context where people can they 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 may read the science and not necessarily understand it, but it, I think it gives it a longer lifeline in terms of reaching the the everyday person who maybe is not a scientist but they've had some form of energy healing, whether it's Reiki or the bars, whatever. Um, and they know it works. They just don't know how it works. And now we're getting to the point where we can uh, display that level of science to people. Oh, absolutely. And it goes the other way as well. I, I've worked in the world of, uh, of science, scientists, engineers, who felt excluded from many of these conversations in terms of new thought and spirituality not because they weren't interested, but because they simply didn't relate to the language that was being used. And uh, the very first book I, I wrote, 1986, uh, it began as a as a pamphlet <laughs> that was photocopied so many times and sent all over the world. I thought, you know, I might as well just do this as, as a book. It was called Awakening to Zero Point. And it was a discussion largely for my scientific colleagues of, you know, what, what they call... Um, uh, the cell is really electrical in nature, and the capacitance and the resistance and the ability to to store and release information and, and share information uh, and in very precise ways and how we can regulate that. And when they began to think of, of their bodies and, and see these relationships, then they were very engaged in, in the conversations. And this was when I was in the defense industry. So, yeah, I think uh, I think that there's also uh, an element there with scientists and uh, particularly in academia, where your aspect of publish or perish um, becomes directed a lot by um, what you can and can't do. And so when we get on the fringes of science uh, of what we're learning and understanding today, I think that some of these new discoveries then tend to give people in academia permission to then begin to replicate those things and begin to research those as we move the cutting edge forward. 
Absolutely. I'm, uh, I've actually been invited to be on the, uh, the faculty of a number of uh, Ph.D. students, different universities, both uh, here in the States and in some other countries, um, who are using my books as the reference books for their Ph.D. studies in, in realms that uh, have, have never been, been explored in, in their universities before based on precisely these principles and the principles of fractal time that we're going to talk about here in, in just a few minutes. So uh, I think it's it's important, uh, and Joe and I have talked about this. Joe Dispenza, our our uh, dear friend and colleague, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, has also been part of these discussions. We all had to make a choice as to whether or not, with our studies, our research, would we go through the traditional peer review process, which can take six, maybe eight years, uh, to have a white paper published uh, in a, a technical journal that very few people get to see, uh, and and we still have the opportunity to do that, or do we thoroughly research and vet this information and share it in the mainstream? And to a large degree, that's what we've chosen to do because we, we wanted to share this paradigm-shifting information uh, as quickly as we could to meet the needs of the world. This is something we haven't talked about yet, but what was so critical to me is, is our world is changing. And we're living what the experts are calling a time of extremes, and we're experiencing things that we don't have a good reference point to experience. Uh, and for most people, it's happening faster than we've been prepared to accept. So as we, my sense has always been, this is the bottom line for me, the better we know ourselves and the better we understand our relationship to the world, the better equipped we are for whatever life brings to our doorstep, uh, whatever it is. You know, we, we don't know precisely what's going to happen in the world. We can't necessarily control that, but we can, uh, to a large degree, control how we respond to what's happening in the world. And as we learn, as we hone these gifts that have been with us all along uh, and optimize what's happening within our bodies, our, our ability of, of deep intuition, uh, super immune response, anti-aging hormones, kick them into overdrive, our abilities to, to heal in ways that we haven't even really considered in the past, then those abilities help us to navigate this changing world in, in ways that may not have been possible, you know, just a few generations past. And I, I think that context is really important for everything that we're doing here. And to a large degree, that's where fractal time comes in because it's telling us both on, on a personal as well as on a, a community and a global level uh, what we can reasonably expect, what kinds of conditions we can expect in the world because they are conditions that have been with us to different degrees in the past. And the cycles, fractal cycles of time, help us to know where we are in, in those cycles and, and what we can reasonably expect. Yeah, the, I, I really am interested in that uh, concept in your book, Fractal Time. Um, it, it seems like, you know, my staff and I were talking about this this morning, how it, time seems to be going faster. You know, what what happened to the good old days when we could, you know, lay around in the grass in the park and, you know, take time? And it just seems like things are moving faster um, and, and whether they are or not. And that's that's why fractal time becomes, uh, I think, such an important concept to understand that the events of the universe and life are uh, are are really quantum markers, if you if you look at it that way based on this, these patterns of energy that are playing out as part of our reality. Um, 
Is that a good characterization of fractal time in well, your I, opinion? I think it is. I mean, everything you've just said, uh, I don't know about you, but 2015 flew by like whoosh, and it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife... Um, I think my wife nailed it. She's she is non scientific. She doesn't have a technical mind. She's a, she's a, an artist and a musician. And we were talking about this one day, and and I was talking about the world uh, that no longer exists and the the new reality, the, the 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 new normal that we're experiencing right now, and the things about the past that I I miss the most. And I asked her what her feeling was about that. And she was, she thought about it for a moment. She put some thought into it. And she said, you know, the thing I really miss the most is waking up in the morning and knowing that by the end of the day, I'm going to have accomplished everything that I, I want to accomplish in the day. She said, these days, I know no matter how much I do, uh, I'm not going to get everything done. And, and a lot of that, uh, I think, comes from the Internet, from our communications uh, you know, you think you have everything done, and, and five seconds before you go to sleep, you look at your emails, and, and there's, you know, <laughs> ten, ten requests for, for more things, and now you don't have everything done. But this is where this concept of fractal time, I released the book Fractal Time uh, in 2010. And what I did, what was unique in that book, Jeffrey, uh, we've all studied time, and we've all heard of fractals, certainly, the, 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 the unique patterns uh, that form the universe that scientists have found they're as complex as our bodies and the world around us appear to be they're actually made uh, of just a few simple patterns that repeat again and again on on various scales uh and when we really began to grasp the significance of that i mean it is is an, an awesome understanding and what i did was i married these two ideas together the 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 idea that time is also fractal and it means that there are patterns and rhythms to uh, the experiences of our lives. If, if we can think of, uh, of the, well, the key in, in fractal time is that uh, when an event occurs, it creates what we call a seed, a seed event that sets into motion a ripple uh, in space-time, uh, a ripple, a pattern of energy that will repeat on a rhythmic basis, again and again and again, until something uh, changes that pattern. And if we understand how these patterns work, if we understand that they are governed by natural rhythms and natural cycles, then when we recognize uh, that a seed event is happening, an emotionally significant uh, event has happened in our lives, or, or on a global basis, uh, 9-11 was the test case that we used uh, when we developed the, the algorithms, the mathematics for fractal time. And I said, I'd, is... I'd like to uh, take a short break oh, now sure. and uh, continue this discussion. And maybe we can also, uh, you know, talk a little bit about uh, whether we create our own fractals. Uh, so let's take a short break. And you're listening to Help My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you find that some of your hopes and dreams aren't happening the way you thought they would? Maybe your power of intention needs fine-tuning. 
The latest scientific research indicates that the problem is related to your subconscious belief patterns. They determine your behavior as well as create the message that is being broadcast into the field. Only 5% of what we think about comes through the conscious thinking part of our brain, and the rest is processed through the subconscious part of our brain. You need the Thought Genius Kit. The Thought Genius Kit is an amazing combination of tools and technology that is not sold in stores anywhere. But you can get it from ThoughtGenius.com. If you want to know what your subconscious thinks and feels about something, all you have to do is think about it and watch the indicators on the screen. The Thought Genius Kit also comes with a lifetime subscription for creating your own mind movies. Get more information and read scientific research before you order the Thought Genius Kit at ThoughtGenius.com. That's ThoughtGenius.com. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. To reach Dr. Jeffrey L. Fannin or his guest today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to radioshow at thoughtgenius.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, and we're back with uh, my guest, Greg Braden, and we've been talking about fractal time. So uh, maybe we can uh, pick up where we, we left off there, talking about patterns of time that tend to repeat, and there is a, 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 a seed or a set factor that, that uh, causes this pattern to be established and then to repeat at some later time. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, the, the, the mathematic algorithm is a, a relatively simple algorithm. Once we look back on it, developing it, moving forward, um, it, it seemed complex at the time, but the the test case that we did with this Jeffrey was was nine eleven, and because we were uh, so close to to when that had happened, when these ideas were being developed, and and the idea was that for something like nine eleven to happen, that that is uh, a repeat of a pattern that had been seeded. The seed had been planted previous to that. We, we look back in time at, at the characteristics, the characteristics of 9-11. Uh, America was attacked. It was a surprise attack. Um, we were looking at, at things like the dates and, and when was the last time, or the first time, uh, that America was surprised and attacked on American soil, and the date was obviously Pearl Harbor. Uh, and when we plugged in the, the month and the day for Pearl Harbor, the Pearl Harbor attack, and we began to run the fractal patterns, what we found was that the first fractal, uh, which represents the point in time when the conditions are ripe to repeat, doesn't mean that they must. It means the deck is stacked in the favor for those conditions to repeat. Was the first fractal was 1979, and uh, in the book I talk about this, the book Fractal Time, there were events unfolding in the world that could have gone. Uh, in the way of, of another attack, they didn't. The next fractal after that was exactly, it was exactly uh, uh, September of 2001. It was the, the second fractal of a seed event that had unfolded in, in the past. So this, this was the test. We began to apply this in, in the personal lives of the researchers. So whether we're talking about on a global level or on a personal level, if, when we have an emotionally significant event in our lives, 
That becomes the seed that sets into motion a pattern of energy that will repeat on a rhythmic and cyclic basis on different scales. So when we're young, an experience of betrayal or loss, or it doesn't be bad, it can be abundance and success. The first time we make money at a lemonade stand and we have that sense uh, of, of abundance that we've done something, that is a seed event at 11 years old that can play out as, uh, as the first corporate position when we're 23 years old as uh, becoming the, the owner of, of our own software company when we're 35 years old. They are fractals of that seed playing out again and again and again. The beauty... Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know that there's um, an element of mathematics that goes along with you know, the emotion and the reality and the things that you're talking about there. But um, the the stock market, for example, is based on stochastics, sure. uh, where this rhythm appears over and over and over again, but yet uh, the energy of that element of mathematics can be altered based on intention and focus. Well, that, that's precisely where I was going. It wouldn't do any good necessarily to know about these things if we couldn't in some way interact with these cycles. So the seed event sets into motion a pattern uh, that plays out as a cycle, and, and the duration of the cycle is, is determined uh, by what has happened in the seed in the past. We describe all, all this in the book. It, it's probably too much to go into uh, you know, verbally here. But, but the key is that... When one cycle ends and the next cycle begins, between the end of the one cycle and the beginning of the next, there's a period of time where neither cycle exists. And that, in mathematics, it's actually called the choice point. And the choice point where the first cycle has completed and the second cycle is yet to begin, that choice point is the opportune time to make a change. That's when we have the time to change the, the energy of that cycle, whether it's, it's conflict on a global basis or whether it's uh, our experience of loss and betrayal at age 11 uh, when a parent leaves a home and, and the, the, the family is destroyed and then the person keeps repeating that and drawing in relationships and jobs and careers, supervisors that mirror that loss and that betrayal. Once we recognize those choice points, then we can consciously, that's when the deck is stacked in our favor, to consciously shift that pattern. Now, clearly, we can do it any time, but I prefer to do it when the rhythms are, are, are in my favor. And this is what we talk about in the book. We've actually created what is called a, uh, a time code calculator. We've automated these, uh, these rhythms. They're available at, uh, on my website, uh, gregbraden.com. You go under the tab Explore. Uh, there's a fractal time calculator. You don't have to sign up. There's no money. You don't have to put your email address in there or anything like that. And you can explore uh, mode number three for personal rhythms and personal cycles. And, yes, the stock market is based on these as well as cycles of conflict and war, which is fascinating to me because before the break I mentioned that we're living a time of extremes. And one of the things that makes our time so unique is that we're living a convergence of three powerful cycles, uh, any one of which would be uh, huge under themselves, the cycles of climate, the cycles of global economics, and the cycles of conflict. 
All are converging right now. And if we don't know that, Jeffrey, it looks like the world's falling apart at the seams. And if we do understand the rhythms and the cycles, then you, I just did this with an audience in Boulder, Colorado, last weekend. They said, my God, once you see the cycles, of course we're seeing the world in chaos. And, and of course you can see where it makes sense to live and to think in, in new ways and, and where the cycles begin and end and what, what the changes actually mean. So to me, this is the value of recognizing the rhythms and the cycles and the fractal patterns, the fractal patterns uh, that, that play out in larger and larger scales. Now, our ancestors lived much closer to the earth, much closer to nature, and much closer to natural cycles. And in some respects, uh, certainly on a cosmologic level, they understood these patterns really, really well, and science historically has discounted them uh, until recently. So that's, the, I think, the value of recognizing these, these fractal cycles and patterns is that then we recognize when we have the ability to shift unhealthy patterns, which includes the healing of the body. It happens on, on the micro as well as the macro scale. Yeah, so I, I think that answers the question that we threw out there before the break, and that is, uh, do we create our own fractals? Um, as, as people are, are doing that, as they are learning how to understand the principles and concepts that are really universal laws, um, do you think that we are approaching a critical mass of understanding not only how to create our own reality, but people instead of a bunch of uh, disparate individuals around the planet, are now coming together in communities of like-minded people in order not only to change the energy in their own field, but uh, changing the energy of the universe and moving toward critical mass where more wanted than unwanted uh, thoughts and activities uh, may begin to happen. Would, would you think that that's possible? I absolutely believe that is more than possible, Jeffrey. I think it's precisely what's happening, and it's one of the reasons for, for my optimism. What I have the opportunity to say in front of a live audience, and I can look into the eyes of the people I'm saying it to, is that we already have the solutions to all the big problems in the world, the technological solutions. Uh, there are many audiences, you know, they, they think if, if only we could get the leaders and the scientists together in a room and figure all this out. And, and what I say is that the scientists already have it figured out technologically. We already have all the food we need to feed every mouth of every child, man, and woman on the face of the earth. And I was just at the U.N. Uh, they're telling us that we have food security at least for another 50 years. So it's not the reason that people are going to bed hungry tonight. We already have the technology to create clean, sustainable electricity and bring it into every home everyone that needs it without the use of fossil fuels, uh, without creating any greenhouse gases in, the, in a very uh, uh, affordable and abundant way. We know, how, we know how to create communities. We don't have to guess because they already exist. Northern Arizona, we've got a beautiful community, 600 people, uh, create all their own electricity to grow all their own food. They have a 100% employment rate. People that want to work, work to create the electricity and to grow the food that sustains them. And there are other communities throughout the world, and these are just some examples. We already know how to reverse aging. We already know how to trigger the healing process in every organ of the body, even those that we were told could not heal, including spinal cord tissue, pancreatic tissue, brain tissue, uh, heart tissue. So we already have these. And, and so people look at me and they say, well, we've got it. You know, the question is, where is it? Why don't we see it today? 
And that's, I believe, the greatest crisis that we face. It's the thinking, the thinking that must make a priority for the things that we're talking about in our lives to show up in our world. And, and that takes leadership. And I think this is where all of these things come together. So now we know what doesn't work. We know what's unsustainable. We know what destroys our world. And, and so we can't plead ignorance any longer. Now we're making a choice. And that's why I think this is such a, a powerful choice point. Uh, and the cycles actually show this, Jeffrey, between 1980 and 2016. There's a 36-year period of time that the Mayans told us exist between what they called great world ages, uh, these huge cycles of time that they tracked, we haven't even considered in, in the Western science. And they said those 36 years, at the end of those 36 years, you're not going to recognize your world and the way you live because you're going to learn uh, how to le- live with nature. And I think we're seeing the world go through the throes of how we embrace in our lives what science is now showing us about our relationship to the world. We ask science to show us. Science is doing that, and now we have to make a choice. Do we accept what we ask science to show us? Yeah, I think think it's both a a top-down and a bottom-up process. So the leadership uh, in the world uh, are coming to recognize some of these things that they need to focus on. And then from the bottom up, we have all these individuals who are who are becoming awakened and aware and their higher level of consciousness seems to be driving them toward, you know, uh, being able to change the reality and put energy towards this whole community process in, uh, in, in living differently than the way we do now. I believe that. You know, Buckminster Fuller, I have tremendous respect for, for Buckminster Fuller. And he said something so powerful that has been a, a guiding principle in my life for many, many years. He said, you'll never change the world by fighting the existing reality. He says, you want to bring about change, find a new way of doing things that makes the old way obsolete. And people will naturally gravitate toward doing things the new way. So you don't have to fight the old way. You, you share the new way, and the old way simply falls, falls away. It's not used anymore. Yeah, and we certainly a, seem to be doing that now. Yeah, so what's on the horizon for Greg Braden as we have uh, a couple minutes left here? Well, you know, this is, uh, as I mentioned, this is the 30th year, Jeffrey, uh, that I've, I've offered this work in, in one form or another. My question, uh, I, I was actually mandated, it was mandated of me to make a choice when I was in the corporations about the path of my research and my work that I was doing for them. And, and it was interesting because I was asked to make a choice in a way that sounds almost biblical. My director came to me and said one day, Greg, you cannot serve two masters. <laughs> that sounded <laughs> biblical to me. He said, you must, choose yeah. you must choose science or spirituality. And I said, you know, we've always done that in the past, and look at where it's led. I said, what if we don't choose between the two? What if we marry them together? Where would that lead? And everything that I say yes to and that I do in my life, the books, the research, uh, the sharing, is my way of answering that question. And, and that is my, my, uh, my sole compass for where my work is leading today. Absolutely. That is so great. And, and the work that you do is <clears throat> so profound. And, and there's so much wisdom and inspiration there. I hope more people will uh, become aware of uh, the things that you do. So if people want to know more about your work, your materials, your speeches, and so forth, uh, where can they get that real quick? 
The best place, uh, www.gregbraden.com, G-R-E-G-G, two G's, B-R-A-D-E-N.com. Uh, go to the events, and you'll see where I am all over the world up into 2017 is where we're booked right now. Wow, fantastic. So I'd like to thank uh, my guest, Greg Braden, uh, for taking time out of his very, very busy schedule to spend some time with us today and looking forward to more of your inspiring work. Jeffrey, I just want to thank you. It's the first time we've worked together like this. Uh, I look forward to the next, and um, I know there's a lot of places where our work overlaps. I look forward to exploring that. And I want to thank you for this venue uh, that makes it possible to have these kinds of conversations. I think they're really important. Thank you for all the work you do, my friend. Thank you. Um, join us next week for another interesting and inspiring episode of Help, My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Thank you for tuning in to the show this week. Please join Dr. Jeffrey Fannin again for another edition of Help! My Thoughts Are Holding Me Hostage. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have the best week possible.